Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored, a podcast on sustainability and innovation in business and economy, a place where we explore all the sides, angles, colors, and shapes of sustainability. My name is Anna, and I am the podcast host of the show. This is the episode number 30, season 3, and today we have a very, very interesting discussion coming up on the challenges of circular economy and systemic change. To help me explore this angle of sustainability and economy, I invited Cleona Howie Del Rio, a strong and dedicated professional who is leading EIT Climate Kick, more on that in the episode itself, So EIT Climate Kicks work on designing circular economy transition with national and regional governments. Her project work includes designing national and regional transition plans and leading a strategic research and innovation agenda for European circular economy. This work helps to set a coordinated approach to financing circular economy research and innovation in Europe. Leona has been working as an environmental consultant for over 20 years, starting as an expert in environmental impact assessment and transitioning to sustainable industry and circular economy business models. She has held important roles such as championing sustainable businesses in small-medium enterprises as the chairman for the environmental sector group for the European Commission's Enterprise Europe Network for several years where she managed a team of 60 sustainable business advisors located, just think about it, across 21 countries. A privileged position to analyze the impact of implementing a widespread selection of eco-innovation technology and services across all economic sectors. This uh, experience and, of course, expertise she has gained all, throughout all these years allowed Cleona to sit on a range of committees and working groups for the European Commission, including European Commission's Circular Economy Expert Finance Group. She is influencing new environmental policy and is improving smart specialization strategies in regional authorities. Ooh, all of this is to say I feel extremely lucky, privileged, and honestly a bit nervous, but also very excited to talk to Cleona today. I feel like we all have a lot to learn from her. I cordially invite you to join our discussion and sail through it together. Let's get it started. Hi, Cleona. Thank you for taking time of your busy schedule to talk to me today about circular economy and the systematic change and the low and the transition to low carbon economy. I know you're working as a consultant, right, at the Climate Key. You're based in Spain. Uh, would you please introduce yourself a little bit more for the listeners? Uh, what you are, where you are, and what exactly you're doing? Hi, thank you, Anna, for having me. It's it's a real pleasure to be invited to contribute to your series of podcasts and the work you're doing um, in low-carbon society. So, yes, my name is Cleona Howie. I'm the head of Circle Economy at EIT Climate Kick. I'm um, full-time staff at, at Climate Kick, and my role of head of Circle Economy takes my work all over Europe. But I am based in Spain, and but I work um, with different initiatives, different projects, different countries, regional governments, 
across Europe. Climate kick, where is it based geographically? I'm asking because I remember a couple of years ago, I approached the CEO or someone like on the top uh, management level uh, with an idea to open a hub in Ukraine. And that was not on the agenda. Where is it? How is it distributed geographically? Okay. So EIT Climate Kick is, first of all, I should say that Kick is KIC. It stands for Knowledge Innovation Community. There are, in fact, eight kicks that exist. And climate is obviously the one that focuses on climate change innovation. There's eight other knowledge innovation communities, um, ranging from digital to health to energy to food to mobility, manufacturing. The other ones are quite sectorial. Climate change is the one that's probably the most horizontal, right? Because climate change innovation touches every sector and every aspect of our society. They are sponsored by the EIT, which is the European Institute for Innovation and Technology. The EIT is actually based in Budapest and the kicks are all over Europe. Climate kick particularly is, is pretty well represented geographically across Europe. There are 34 countries where we're actually present in across the world, that's to say. And we don't have offices in every European country. Um, I think we have 14 offices, but we're present in 34 countries across the world. So in Europe, um, in the countries that we do have offices, there's teams there. And then there's actually some people that, that are more, shall we say, independent, linked somehow to, to Climate Kick and have a presence in a city or in a country. Um, but it's, it's a very modern way of working where we're spread out, we're connected virtually um, if we're not in an office. And we have a very dynamic, fast-paced movement that really is supported by digital technologies. I'm always curious about how my guests uh, get into sustainability, circularity. Did you always know you would be doing this or was there some kind of event, event that shifted you towards, towards this field? So I'm actually one of those purists. Um, there was never any doubt I would do this from the time I was a kid. And that's no exaggeration or embellishment. So I've been into the, let's say, the ecological sciences since I was very, very young. And at the time of school, um, secondary education, I knew that I would be working in some, something related to biological, ecological sciences. Um, at the time I went to university, and I went to university in the States, um, there weren't environmental degrees, so I'm, I'm that old. <laughs> there was just biological degrees or chemistry degrees or physics degrees. So I, did, um, I studied biological sciences. And then as soon as there was a master's kind of available on environmental science, I, I went into it. But I've literally from day one always knew that this was, was what I would do. Um, I've touched on a range of things inside the environmental science world. So I've worked on conservation in the field to consulting, to working for a government um, and everything in between. Um, and really where I started my most technical work was, I mentioned conservation science, but was not dissimilar from what I know about you, Anna, is environmental impact assessment, where was everything that we are looking at doing, and this was in Europe now, um, there was a, there's a European directive called uh, environmental impact assessment, how do we look at it and measure what impact, positive or negative, it will have on not only environmental elements, but 
social elements, uh, economical elements, and trying to pull it together in a way is like, does this make sense? This led me to work for industries on behalf of industries, looking at their business models to say, will they, will they fit into what makes sense within the waste directive, within the water directive, for example? And then I started giving a lot of, becoming like a sustainable business advisor to, to industries to say, how can you design your business model to be um, less impactful? And in fact, I remember, I do remember a clear time in my career where I stopped talking about the environment. I started talking about sustainability and resilience and resource efficiency because it's simply just smart business. Mm-hmm rather than environmental compliance. And that's what really led me into working for policy and eventually led me to work for Climate Kick Mm -hmm. to say, how can we turn all this into positive mitigation for climate change impacts? Right. And now at Climate Kick, being the head of um, circular economy, shall I say, unit, division, department, Mm -hmm. uh, what are you mostly busy with these days? Is it policy? Is it... I don't know, some practical guidance uh, for the community. So Climate, climate Kick has now been in existence uh, for 10 years. And we've been, um, we've been involved in financing and developing and designing projects that lead to climate change innovation, really for mitigation and adaptation to climate change. And over those 10 years, Climate Kick has undergone a really interesting evolution of thinking and thought leadership around impact. There's an amazing amount of of knowledge, of technology, of innovation being done Mm -hmm. that leads to really great solutions that do help us solve climate change challenges. But they were not reaching the impact we needed. The impact is so great that how can we scale those, how can we replicate those to actually start making a positive contribution to CO2 emissions and living in a world where we can regenerate rather than just try to comply. Um, and this is, this is a, it was a drastic change in climate change strategy about one and a half years ago where we said, we no longer want to work on anything that is incremental or single use. And we decided to have a new strategy, which is called transformation in time, that says, we now want to work on what is called systems change, systems transformation. Meaning, and this goes back to my beginnings of being a, a biologist really, which is what I, what I started my career as, Um, and looking at natural systems, but everything is an ecosystem. Everything is a web that is complex, very complex, but linked. Everything is interlinked to one another. So if you focus on single incremental solutions, you're never going to fix the actual problem of the planet, saying that the planet is a natural system. If you apply that to our societal and economic model of living, those, if you apply those principles, it leads you right to circular economy, which at the, at the core of what it stands for is a systems transformation. It says you cannot change one element without looking at the other. It's very similar to like buying an old house and saying, I'm going to do up and reform this old house. If you start looking at the plumbing, then it starts leading you to the structure. If you look at the structure, it starts leading to, leading to you to look at all the elements. You can't fix one thing in an old house. You have to really take it apart and understand How do I rebuild it? And when you talk about systems change, you need to then look at, well, who owns the system? Where do those challenges lie? And how do we focus in on that? We call them challenge, Climate Kit, we call them challenge owners. And so what we do is identify a challenge owner that is looking at the simultaneously at all the levers of change, what we call that 
fit into the system and have to be triggered simultaneously to unlock systems change. When we find, identify a challenge, and that can be a national government, it can be a regional government, it could be a large city, it could even be an industrial value chain or an industrial cluster, is saying this is a large enough challenge that if we build an ecosystem around it, the solutions are going to be triggering multiple levers of change, and therefore we're going to be working on whole systems transformation. And the complexity is you have to be doing all those things at the same time. So that's working on policy, that's working on education and training, capacity building, looking at the financial system, how it works inside that system, looking at um, how education, uh, I mentioned education, looking at, sorry, entrepreneurship, business, innovation, research, everything, community engagement, behavioral change, at it, down to individual level, what drives us to choose one way of living compared to the next. So looking at all those factors at the same time. So Climate Kick is now working in this way of, with a systems approach, mm -hmm. connecting all the different elements of our society and saying, how can we make a large shift from around this challenge, mm -hmm. um, working with all the stakeholders that need to be involved to actually have a large scale impact. Yeah. And, that's, and that's what we're doing um, across um, all of Europe. I'm focusing on those challenges and those challenge owners that have identified circular economy as a main focus for the solution for systems change. When you say projects, do you mean startups, individuals coming with certain ideas or bigger yeah, so all of it, all it, all of it, and everything in between. From when I say projects, so what we do when we just say we've identified a challenge owner and we've identified a series of challenges that exist inside that from that challenge owner that spread out across a whole ecosystem of stakeholders. We look at saying, okay, Climate Kick can coordinate and orchestrate bringing all those stakeholders together to say we address the challenges in a communal way. That includes universities, research centers, startups, large-scale industries, the government, policymakers. It includes community from mothers to, mm -hmm. to NGOs. Um, it looks, really looks at across the whole system of what are the, what, how can we, in a communal way, in an inclusive way, in a holistic way, work together across the same challenges so that we're not finding just single solutions in single points of time in single locations, but we're working on Again, it's about the scale. It's about creating an ecosystem of all the actors that are needed. Climate Kick does have programs that are specifically addressed for startups to help them, um, you know, seed fund or to help them find expert advice on building their business model. But we also work with very large scale industries that are major players in a European industrial value chain mm -hmm. that can also trigger change through their supply chain, for example. You know, I have a vision of circular economy as of a closed loop. Mm -hmm. So how to get the best of the product while generating the least of waste, how to return resources back into the cycle. But that eventually leads me, and I, I think a lot of people are also confused in there. How and why should governments be interested in the circular economy compared to, to the previous way of doing things? What general public says is, wait, we need to produce, consume, and throw away. And that will uh, boost next cycle of production, consumption, and throwing away. What are you suggesting? If we close the loop, it will completely ruin the economy. Can you explain this concept to me a little bit in more detail? Yeah, it's a very, very good question. And one, and a, and a question that I hear a lot, particularly from not only government, but from businesses. 
saying, what's in it for us? What's the benefits? So I already mentioned that, you know, I can remember a time in my career where I stopped talking about environmental compliance. I stopped talking about, you know, doing it for the good of the planet. And you start talking about being smart and resilience and resource efficiency. So where we are now compared to where I was 20 years ago when I started my career is it's easier and easier to convince people. Why? There's lots of reasons. If you look at a production line, the cost of raw materials is not only going up. And when I say raw materials, I mean actual materials, but also natural resources like water, energy. Those, the cost of those raw materials and those natural resources is only going up. Why? Because of scarcity, because of volatile trade market. They're not resilient and they're not standalone things that you can control. They're dependent on world economics. They're dependent on global value chains. They're dependent on all sorts of problems that can happen at the political level that influence literally your bottom line, your production line, whether you're going to pay the bills that, that week or not, because all of a sudden energy price goes through the roof. All of a sudden there's not good, clean, accessible water because something is, there's, been a con, there's been this oil spill, there's been some kind of contamination. And you've now got to pay five times as more to transport clean water from somewhere else for your production line. Or there is a natural catastrophe and cotton this year is not available and extremely expensive. Things like this, these affect your bottom line, your price, and it's only getting worse. As resources become more scarce, they become more expensive, and you can't control that. We, we, we live in a global system, and therefore you're dependent on so many other factors that your business is now less resilient because of those factors. If you look at the end of a production line, it's the same thing. We no longer have the luxury of saying we can create as much waste as we want, and it won't affect us. No, we will actually drown in our waste. And not if we're drowning our waste, it will, it will contaminate our drinking water in our homes before that. It will pollute our airs. We are getting sick. We're then paying our health costs and then go through the roof to, to be able to maintain a healthy society that can go to work and make the economy tickle over. So you have, to, you have to say, well, what do we do with this waste? How do we control it? How do we you know, ensure that we are not generating volumes of something that's toxic that we can't handle, we have nowhere to put. So by closing the loop, you're making your business model extremely more competitive and resilient on a global market. The sooner you do it, the better you do it, the more competitive you're going to be in a supply chain, especially if you are a small supplier working in a big value chain and an industry says, this guy's, this woman is doing smart business. Let's work with them. Mm -hmm. You're looking after your bottom line. You're looking after your cost. You're looking after your resilience by, by becoming more circular. And simply put, even those businesses that don't see or smaller governments that haven't quite understood the purpose and benefit of the circular economy, the laws now are changing, especially in, particularly in Europe. Policy now is dictating that you have to have extended producer responsibility. You have to eco-design your products so that they can be disassembled and reused or recycled. You can't just say it's the consumer's responsibility. If there's policy changing that's incentivizing tax rebates to say, if you design your production system, if you um, sell products as a service, there's tax rebates that make sense again for your business. So the policy side is pushing it already in Europe. So it makes sense to that. And then the business side, B2B, people are going to start demanding it because it allows them to say, my supply chain is more resilient. My supply chain is cheaper because it's more efficient, because we're not wasting uh, materials and usage of resources. 
So from all angles, it's now, it's really starting to say, get you either you figure it out and you get on board or you actually are going to be less competitive and there's plenty and plenty of information out there that is changing so i i i in my time i can tell you in the last few years it's become easier and easier to talk to both businesses and governments about why this makes sense and to be quite honest when i when you do talk to people when you, especially when you get down to individual level you're talking to policymakers, you know regional authorities national authorities even businesses Things you can see it clicking. You're like, well, we always used to live like that. My parents or my grandparents lived like that. And, and you say, yeah, it's, it's not some rocket science theory. Yeah. It's actually, it actually just makes sense. It's actually logical. And as human beings, we lived like that in a circular way for a very, very long time because there wasn't the luxury of waste. It really, in a way, is bringing us back to our more human roots. Last month, when uh, being outside was still possible, I gave a series of um, lectures on zero waste on the individual level at uh, regional schools for kids. And teachers stayed there, they listened all the way very skeptical. So what are you suggesting us? Not using plastic, uh, plastic bags? Uh, okay, how do you buy uh, you know, liquids, um, meat, fish, and so on? Say, well, I have a container, a civic, some containers in plastic, I assume. And then when everyone left, so they were attacking in a way, Elizabeth, mm -hmm. challenging me. Okay, how did you replace this? How did you replace that? So what are you telling us? You're not using plastic at all. And then one of them came to me at the end and said, but you know, everything that you said is not new. I lived like that. In my generation, I lived like that when I was younger. He said, yeah, we, we just didn't have the luxury of, oh, it's cheap, it's light, it's um, easy to throw away. And where do you think it goes after that? It will you know, eventually come into your own yard. Uh, is climate kick somehow active in engaging with the governments in terms of change in the policy on at least European level? Climate Cake is extremely active on not only engaging with, with national and regional governments, but also with the European Commission. So we have been a stakeholder in the European Commission def definition of the new Circle Economy Action Plan. We have contributed to the EU Green New Deal, the new industrial strategy. So we're looking at from how do we influence top-down policy with information that we can bring from the field. Because I'm also, I've spent many, many years working with businesses and then their, their knowledge, their experience, their needs on the, on the ground needs to be taken into account when you define policy. It needs, it needs to look at all the angles. It can't just be, you know, this is a new law, do it like this and be compliant. It has to work with business, you have to listen to business. If you want to define policy that will actually be implemented and successful, you have to understand how it will be implemented. Then we are in particular, I mentioned we have these, where we work with challenge owners and we create these ecosystem, a portfolio of solutions for a challenge or a challenge owner. Many times those challenge owners are national or regional governments. So in the circular economy space, we're working um, very, very closely, for example, with the, with the government of Slovenia. Um, where we have designed a what we call a deep demonstration on national circle economy transition. And it's a portfolio of an enormously rich portfolio of projects, programs that will look at everything from how to engage with the community, how to bring circle economy into to schools, to how to 
train up policymakers so they know how to rewrite policy to integrate circular principles into their policies mm -hmm. and everything in between. So working with investors on um, how do you change the risk assessment you do of business models? Because at the moment, our financial system is set up to evaluate and use a criteria on a linear system. So if you take a circular business model to a bank that is assessing on a linear criteria, it will, it will not be financed. It will fail the test. If you change the criteria to say investment should only be looking at something that is circular because it's safer. If you look at the simulation models, it's a bit safer bet for investment than a linear model. Why? Because it's not, like I said, dependent on volatile raw, raw material prices. Mm -hmm. It's taking care of its waste in a closed loop way and doesn't have to pay for its waste. Because right now when you produce waste in Europe, you have to pay for it to be sorted. That is some examples, but I can talk, I mentioned the government of Slovenia. I mentioned we're also working with the government of Bulgaria, the government of Italy, the government of Ireland. We're working with some regional government authorities on at regional level, how can you create an ecosystem around these solutions? Mm -hmm. So Climate Kick is heavily involved of, of working with policymakers and governments. I find Slovenian example just wonderful how complex it is how complex it sounds and i think you mentioned systematic change that's exactly the example of this holistic integral approach is it publicly available or is it only the governmental documentation is so there... at the moment at the moment we're in um, we're finaling we're finalizing the design phase of what this portfolio of projects will look like but the, the overall pilot is called a deep demonstration on national circle economy transition for Slovenia. There is information online about it. Um, I can sh share this with you. Yes. There was actually one of our biggest milestones. It's been about a year and a half in them working with the Slovenian government. And we grew it from working with three ministries to now nine ministries. And in mm -hmm. November 2019, we actually got, well, I say we, Climate Kick working with the Slovenian government, a government mandate, an official government mandate to work on this pilot. So we're just finalizing now the design phase, and then it will go uh, public the exact set of activities, portfolio of, of interventions that will be rolled out in Slovenia. Mm -hmm. It's a very exciting project. It's an amazing commitment on behalf of the Slovenian government mm -hmm. to, to do this. It's about implementation on the ground. It's not about writing a strategy, a circular economy strategy that will take two, three mm -hmm. years to, to write and then sits on someone's desk. It's about what can we do now to catalyze circle economy transition at national level and looking at everything from the agricultural value chain to the mobility value chain to forestry as a natural resource for Slovenia impressive. and all those aspects I mentioned about policy, education. Yeah, impressive. You know, in my work, I'm often met with the challenge of convincing the other party to do things. Which challenges are you having in circular economy in working with these high rank clients? It's a great question. And I do think it's gotten easier, you know, compared to, to when I started 20 years ago. It's definitely gotten easier. And I'm sad to say it hasn't gotten easier for the right reasons. It's gotten easier because of the things I've mentioned about, you know, raw material scarcity, raw material prices, the waste problem, where we're literally in our face, air pollution problems and now climate change impacts. So climate change impacts are becoming more real every day. We can see how they change an impact on our economy, right? Where business models are, are destroyed because of climate change impacts. So unfortunately, it's not always for the right reasons, but there is, there is some of that where people are learning 
to, and again, I, it goes back to this. It feels like people, when, when, you, when they come down to it and they're faced with it, it makes sense to them. It, may, it means, let's, how can we ensure our resilience as a country, as an industry, as a, as a value chain, as a you know, city? How can we ensure our resilience against all these unpredictable factors? Mm-hmm. And so people are, I feel people are starting to listen more. There's definitely, there's always, always still an enormous amount of convincing, and I call it cheerleading that has to be done. You know, there's all different kinds of skills needed for when we talk about something that's a systemic challenge to change our social economic model. There's all sorts of people that are needed from very clever researchers to business minded people to financial people to, to cheerleaders. So it's part of it, climate kick, we see it as part of our role to be change agents and to be able to have that power of conviction, that power of convincing to say, have the right arguments at the right time with the right target audience to be able to explain why this stuff makes sense. And, and it takes a lot of practice and it also takes being able to adapt your narrative and adapt, you know, what arguments you're bringing to the table, depending on who you're speaking to. And the kind of talking or convincing you would do with a policymaker maybe is not the same that you would do with a business. And it's a, for me, it's those of us who work in this field like you, it's, I think it's part of the skills that we have to um, nurture and cultivate to be able to have an impact on individual people. Because at the end of the day, we need buy, you need buy-in. You need, you need as many people on board as possible to be convinced that this is the right way forward so mm-hmm. that we do start changing policy. We do start changing uh, businesses the way they think. And when you go into a school, that you can talk to a teacher and it makes sense to the teacher or it makes sense to a, we're pushing these kind of theories and thinking on them. One last question, because I could talk to you endlessly, but I see we are running out of time a little bit. One last question. How do you feel? What's your expectation in the post-corona virus crisis time? Will we find ourselves with accelerated transition towards what we were just discussing, circular economy, low carbon economy, or are we to expect the rollback? That's a, that's a great question, Anna, and I, I wish I knew. So don't, well, actually, I don't sure I wish I knew because it's scary. But, you know, coronavirus is a crisis, is a global crisis, but so is climate change. And it's, you know, there are still people who don't quite understand, a lot of people don't quite understand it, even, even prominent political figures Um, I I mentioned that it's becoming more evident and people are seeing the impacts closer to their face, which helps. But it needs, if we look at coronavirus as an example, it's a very good example to say how much preparation you need to put into place to be able to handle the kind of crisis that climate change can bring at global scale. So we, we were really, in Europe, we were really on a good track. Now there was a new commission that's come into power. EU Green New Deal was published. Um, a new circular economy action plan was published at the beginning of March, a new industrial strategy, and all these principles that we're talking about today, circular principles, circular way of thinking, life cycle evaluation rather than single point technologies, extended producer responsibility, mm-hmm. all these things were considered in these new strategies of the commission. And they haven't gone away but it's very evident that we have a very immediate crisis that has taken our time and our focus um, at the moment from 
from local level up to the commission level. I do not foresee they will go away. I do foresee that the commission will, will probably even come back even, even stronger. Why? This coronavirus, as odd as it might seem, is linked to climate change crisis. Why? We are seeing right now with this coronavirus how dependent we were on global supply chains, how dependent we were on perhaps things that were not very business smart, business savvy, or you know, definitely, not, definitely not sustainable. And that's those evidences are coming into play, that they affect our employment rates, they affect our, our, our local business models, they affect people's livelihood. The, the principles of circular economy, at the end of the day, circular economy is a social economic model. It's not an environmental model, it's a social economic model. And so the principles in it make sense for actually being able to better cope with something like another global pandemic, because it will make us more resilient and be able to not have to lose our jobs, not have to close down massive global supply chains, because we, are, we, we have closed the loops around smaller ecosystems. So I think that there's definitely a pause, there's definitely a delay, while we have very, very urgent and, and necessary uh, crisis to meet. But the, but the interesting thing is it's actually, for me, highlighting why something like a circle economy is so needed um, and why we really shouldn't waste time to put it into place. Because it's, about, it's not about necessarily protecting our, our natural world, it's about protecting ourselves and our own survival. Yeah, it's true. Cool. Thank you very much for being with me today, for talking to me, for sharing your views, uh, vision and knowledge with me and the listeners. I really appreciate that. Now I see I need to let you go. <laughs> um, it was wonderful touching base with you today. Thank you again. Thank you very much, Anna. I'm really grateful for the time with you as well. Um, thank you for your interest. I'm glad I could share some things with you. And I look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, thank you. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. That's all about circular economy for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new from our guest Cleona today, got inspired and motivated. If you have any questions, let me or Cleona know. Please reach out to either of us on LinkedIn. I would also like to use this opportunity to invite you to check other related episodes out. We have discussed sustainable business models with Anna Itkin in the episode with the same name, Sustainable Business Models with Anna Itkin. So no chance to get lost in here. Cleona also briefly mentioned linear versus circular bank investment assessment. The bank topic is very dear to me. It was actually what got this whole podcast started. If you are interested to learn more about green banking, please check the very first episode called What is a Green Bank, where I discuss it in more details. It's the first episode I did in my whole life, so don't judge too harsh. Other than that, staying on the bank topic, the first 10 episodes of this podcast are centered around it. Um, environmental and social management system, corporate social responsibility, uh, environmental and social policy, stakeholders, sustainability and climate reporting, sustainable procurement, and so on. All of this you will find in the episodes from 1 to 10, literally. Uh, after that, I started with the interviews. I would also really suggest an episode called Green, Inclusive and Open Economy or Why Sustainability is Not Enough, interview with Ralph Term. 
to get perspective and broader understanding of modern day economy and get inspired to take action. This episode, in fact, is probably the most related to the one you've just heard with Cleona. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, share, review, and rate on the platform you're listening on. We are now available on 50 platforms and counting. Also, an important announcement, Podchaser is running an amazing initiative. I keep reminding this in every episode. This is, I think, the third time I'm mentioning it. They are donating 25 cents to Meals on Wheels America's COVID-19 response fund for every podcast or episode review on Podchaser until April 30th. The initiative has been extended till the end of this month, so there is still a bit of time to play your part in helping others stay away of hunger. They will double uh, this, this donation of 25 cents every time a podcast, so me, replies to the review. Reviews must be a minimum of 20 characters in length, uh, they should be unique and no copy-paste, <laughs> they say no copy-paste jobs up in here. Uh, how to leave a review for a podcast or episode on Podchaser. To review a podcast, just visit the, my page on Podchaser. So type uh, Sustainability Explored in Podchaser. Uh, you can get there via the search bar, browsing and several other places on the site. Once there, click the Rate Podcast button. Uh, you will then see a, a model that, sell, uh, that lets you uh, rate the podcast and write a review. Click save and that's it. Reviewing an episode is just that easy. Uh, visit, visit the podcast's page on Podchaser and click the episodes tab. Uh, or you can find an episode via browsing, research and several other places on the site. You will find a list of the episodes of the series. So everything that I have just named and beyond. Um, Click the one you want to review, maybe something that was particularly uh, interesting for you, and that will take you to its own page. So once there, click the Rate Episode button, you will then see a model uh, that lets you rate the episodes and uh, the episode and write a review. Click Save and you're done. I personally think it's a brilliant and super easy way uh, to help those in need regardless of where in the world we actually are. And let's take this opportunity together. It doesn't cost anything, uh, but it, it, is, it has all the chances to be very beneficial uh, to the end party. Thank you again very much for listening, for being with me today and always. And until next time, take care, stay tuned. Stay healthy and, most importantly, home until further notice. Thank you. Goodbye.